Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week we'll be featuring sermons from our recent International Bible Conference in Chandler, Arizona, hosted by the Door Church and pastored by Joe Campbell. We're making these powerful messages available to both our free and premium subscribers. We'll return to our regular schedule next week. Thanks for listening and for your support of World Evangelism. We hope you enjoy these messages. Amen. It is wonderful to see Pastor Campbell. Thank God. <clears throat> Amen. Too bad your chest hurts. I want to give you a hug. But uh, thank God. It is a privilege to be able to preach the gospel, be a part of this great conference and all that God is doing this week. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 133. Psalm 133, very familiar passage. Spindletop Hill, uh, Hill, south of Beaumont, Texas, was formed by an underground salt dome. A geologist by the name of Patio Higgins, he was the first one that suspected that there might be oil underneath Spindletop. And so they started drilling in October of 1900. By early January 1901, they had already drilled down 1,020 feet. January 10, 1901, mud came gushing out of the hole at high speed. Next was natural gas, and then oil started shooting out of the, the hole. The Lucas Geyser, that is literally a, a fountain of oil, reached a height. It was shooting out of the earth. It reached 100 and 50 feet at that time was the most powerful that had ever been seen in the world. Very soon, the spindle top was producing more than 100,000 barrels of oil a day. At that time in 1901, that was more than all of the oil wells in America combined. The first year, it produced more than 3.5 million barrels of oil. The second year, 17.4 million barrels of oil. That one strike changed Texas, spawned an oil industry, modern companies, oil companies, Chevron, Texaco, Exxon, they were all birthed out of that one oil strike. So think about that. The point in telling that story, they drilled, but then the oil began to flow. The passage that we're going to read, it speaks of oil flowing. And of course, oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to read three simple things the Bible tells us how you can have the oil flow, but there's a question that I am asking that actually forms the title and the theme of this message. Tonight on Tuesday night at conference, will the oil flow. Let's read Psalm 133, 1 through 3. Behold how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Will the oil flow. 
Three simple principles are going to determine whether the oil flow. Number one, it starts with the head. Our text speaks about the head, verse 2, like the precious oil upon the head. The head in the Bible is the symbol of leadership and spiritual authority. Our text speaks about Aaron. Aaron was the head of the Levites. He was the chief priest. Literally, he was one who helped put people uh, in touch with God. 1 Corinthians 11.3 speaks and uses this word in that way. I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman uh, is man and the head of Christ is God. In 1 Chronicles 8.28, they were the heads of their father's houses by their generations. Chief men, over 25 times you find that phrase, the heads of houses. That is speaking about someone who directs an entire clan. What happens in the home, the clan, and the tribe. So spiritual authority is what the head is talking about. The body is affected by the head. Anyone who has a stroke, anyone who has brain damage, what's happening in the head affects the whole body. The legs and the arms are affected. So listen, when I talked about the head, spiritual authority, there are pastors here, you're like, that's right. You preach it, pastor. Listen to me. Pastor, you cannot expect the body to be what the head is not. You want your people to be committed, passionate, and surrendered. If you're not, they will never be. I'll never forget, I'm the concert director. One night, I'm at my parents' house. A pastor called, a young pastor called my dad. He was complaining, these people, I can't get them to give. They won't give money. These, he was complaining, there's no money. They won't give money. And I could hear dad asking questions on his end. Well, are you preaching on money? And this man was irritated at his people that, yes, I'm preaching on money. Well, are you teaching? Yes, I'm teaching. Are you taking offerings? Yes, I'm taking offerings. And I, I can mentally hear my dad scratching his head. And he, he said, uh, are you tithing? Silence. The pastor wasn't tithing. You know, the people didn't know that, but the Bible says the body is affected by the head. A carnal head will not produce a spiritual body. If the pastor is carnal, then the church is going to be. A covetous head cannot produce a liberal body. If a pastor is greedy, driven by money, then that is what the people are going to become. A cold head will never produce an on-fire body. Because our text has a powerful principle. It says anointing flows downward. Verse 2, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down. You know... A very common complaint from pastors is, I can't get these people to fill in the blank. I can't get them to pray. I can't get them to give. I can't get them to commit, to surrender, to go. 
When pastors say, I can't get these people to, they always are assuming that that's a people problem. I can't get these. You know why? Because I got the bad people. I heard my brother Darren talking tonight. He gave a report. Well, of course, God is doing good things down there because he got the good people. As a matter of fact, some people, they, they want to claim their right to be the head. I quoted that scripture in Corinthian. The head of every woman is the man. Their husbands, they say, woman, I'm the head of the house. Says so in the Bible. They're pastors. They have to frequently tell their people, I'm in charge. Can I let you in on a little secret? If you ever have to tell people you're in charge, you're not. See, don't be so excited to claim leadership. Leadership is a responsibility. It's not a principle to be demanded. Because every person who is in authority will answer for their authority. In the garden, husband and wife both sinned. And God came looking and he said, Adam, where are you? Because authority has responsibility. James 3.1, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Oh, I can't wait to have a title and be able to tell people what to do. You might not know what you're asking for. Because with authority comes greater accountability. Years ago, the cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, shipwrecked off the coast of Italy. It was the captain that was charged criminally. Maritime lawyer said, the captain is the master of the vessel. Every crew member looks to the captain for guidance and leadership. It is the captain's responsibility to know the waters and avoid coming close to any shoals and reefs. So in our text, it says, will the oil flow? It starts with the head. Let's talk about a second thought. Second principle here is very simple. You need the oil. Our text speaks about anointing oil, verse 2. It's like the precious oil upon the head. Oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural dimension. It's talking about God at work doing something. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What the Father plans, the Son purchased. It is the Holy Spirit that provides all that was planned and purchased. He empowers. The Holy Spirit is talking about supernatural power. About God doing what we cannot do. Doing more than we can do. Micah 3.8 says, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6 and 7, he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. 
not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with the shouts of grace, grace to it. Listen, whatever God calls us to do, there is a supernatural dimension that God will supply for any ministry that is beyond us, beyond a position or words, beyond any action that we can take. God never intended for us to try and minister for Him on our own. Never. Luke 24, 49, I'll now send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. In the Old Testament, priests and kings and prophets, these were those that God used to help other people. They all underwent the process of anointing. See, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is literally a supernatural element. God works on and in and through a human being to cause what they do for Him to be effective. It is something beyond human ability, human wisdom, human talent, or human organization. Isaiah 10, 27 it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. This is talking about a supernatural element. People that are held hostage, that they are literally, this is talking about prisoners of war. There is a dimension of anointing that breaks that yoke that sets them free. Luke 4, 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus says this is a mark of his ministry, but it's actually a template for all ministry. He says something has to happen more than a program. It is not just that we show up for church. Something has to happen. It is God at work. A supernatural dimension moving through us. When you see that word anointing in the New Testament, it is speaking literally about divine effectiveness. See, think about anointing. How does anointing manifest? Our text talks about anointing oil. You study this in the Bible. Anointing manifests firstly through human speech. 1 Samuel 3.19, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That, that is a power. You ever, you ever had that feeling? You ever witnessed, and you felt like it kind of just ran down your chin, fell on the floor? You did. 
But when Samuel spoke, the Bible didn't let any of his words fall to the ground. It penetrated. Luke 4, 22, everyone spoke well of him. They were amazed at, by the gracious words that came from his lips. Not just kind words. Grace is powerful words. This is talking about words that penetrate. The day of Pentecost, when Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that his words pierced their hearts. Met a man in New Zealand a few months ago. The pastor was out witnessing on the streets of his city. He saw two gangsters coming down the, the street, and he said he began to witness, and one of them just looked with disgust, is listening to him for a, a bit, and walked away. And, he, and the pastor thought to himself, that did no good. One year later, he got a call. That man called the pastor, and he said, you've got to tell me what time does church start? For a year, I can't get those words you said out of my head. You know what that is? That is anointing. Amen. People, I've heard them testify. I couldn't argue with it. Something broke through. James Hervey, he was a friend of the Wesleys at Oxford. When he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he described the change that came by the anointing of the Spirit. He said, while once my preaching was like the firing of an arrow, that all of the speed and force depended on the strength of the arm and the bending of the bow, he said, once the, the Holy Spirit came on me, it was like the firing of a rifle, that the whole force of the gunpowder all it needed was a finger touch to set it off. Words that penetrate. Words that inspire. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking? A man asked my father when he was alive, he said, Pastor Mitchell, obviously it was when he was alive, it'd be hard to do now, but. I don't know why we say that. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, it was when he was alive. <laughs> oh, dear. He said, Pastor Mitchell, when you preach, there's more going on than what you're saying. And he asked him, what is it? You know what it is? It's anointing. In other words, it's not just the content was brilliant, you brought out tense Greek verbs, no, there's more going on. There's something about that I can tell you personally. As a young man, when he would preach on destiny, my heart would pound. I don't know if it was the most brilliantly put together sermon, but there was a force that was behind it. We wanted to reach the world when we heard him speak because anointing brings words that inspire Biblically, anointing does a second thing, is it causes us to have favor with people. 1 Samuel 3.20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Listen, what is anointing? 
meet someone who is anointed and you'll know. Hear someone witness who's anointed, you'll know it. Listen to someone sing who is anointed and you will know it. Because it can be seen, it can be felt. But our text says, when you get the Holy Spirit, when there is an anointing upon your life, it causes other people to be drawn to you, to want to listen to you, to believe in you, to want to follow. That is what you need. Listen, my wife and I went out to Pioneer. I was 21. She was 19. We looked like we were 12. There was no one who would look at us and go, wow, absolutely. But there was a dimension of God that God was able to do something that we didn't have. A miracle dimension of anointing. Charles Spurgeon said it's extraordinary power from God, not talent that wins the day. It's extraordinary spiritual unction, not extraordinary mental power that we need. Mental power may fill a chapel, but spiritual power fills the soul. Mental power may gather a large congregation, but only spiritual power will save souls. What we need is spiritual power. Third thought from our text. So, starts with the head. You need the oil, but here is the kicker, the determining factor. Because our text says there is a factor that determines whether or not the oil flows, and that is unity. Verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is powerful. Whenever people, unity simply means one. When they are united, when they're one, when they're in agreement, power can be released. Genesis eleven six. The Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They have one language. This is what they begin to do. Nothing that they now propose to do will be withheld from them. You know what? Even in unsaved people. That, that text says unity is powerful even in unsaved people. Show me a sports team where everyone on the team is on the same page. It's powerful. Business for money. They unify to make money, even evil. Our nation is being dramatically transformed by wicked people who are united in their evil plans. So our text, there's a logical progression here. If unity brings the oil, lack of unity affects the oil. Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. This is on every area of life, of life. Husbands and wives. David's wife, McCall, she was not in agreement with her husband. Despised her husband. And the Bible says she was barren to the day of her death. The life flow that should have been at work in her, it was stopped. 
But this is true in every human relationship. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, people and pastors, pastors and leaders. Think about, this is practical. A lot of people, they want to make everything like mysterious. This is so, so practical. Think about this. What stops the oil? Conflict. Philippians 4.2, now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Think about that. That's incredible. The, the epistles, they were read aloud. There was no internet. There was no printing press. Pastor Paul has a message for us. Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Oh, we like that. You imagine they're sitting there, these two ladies, Tell Yodia and Syntyche, knock it off. God has to interrupt his holy word because people are in conflict. Listen to me. There are people here, conflict is as normal to you as breathing. There is never a day in your life you, are, you wake up every day and mad at somebody. It's normal. That's what you saw growing up. And unfortunately, now in the house, there are people tonight while we were singing, your blood, you're looking across, look at him, look at him. Because you're in conflict with people who are sitting in the house of God with you. Dear Lord, I love the fellowship. But there's a whole bunch of people that tick me off. Can I just tell you one thought that will blow your mind? Do you know that there are some people, they're not fighting with anybody. So, I mean, conflict is so normal to you, there's not, a, there's not a day goes by. You fight with family. You fight with people in the church. You fight with your pastor. You fight with leaders. You go to the store. You, it's normal. Do you understand there are people in the world, I know you find this hard to believe, they're not fighting with anybody. They didn't wake up this morning mad. And some of you, conflict is so normal. There are parents here, you have put conflict into your children. You have taught them to fight and to despise and to hate. There are pastors, dear Lord, you teach your people to fight. You teach your disciples. And then you're like, and you are praying before service, oh God, let the oil flow. Why won't the oil flow? Hey, it ain't rocket surgery. Some of you will get that later. Envy. So much conflict is rooted in envy. That guy really bugs me. Probably they have something you want. It's simple. Rebellion. There are people who come to church and they're completely at odds with the pastor. They disagree with everything he says. They don't like anything. Why won't the oil flow? Tribalism. Listen, a mark of our fellowship, we have conference centers. What a blessing. Chandler. We talk about the Chandler wing of the fellowship, Tempe and Tucson and El Paso and Prescott and all that. I want to tell you something that will kill us dead as a fellowship. It's tribalism. We're better simply because where we're from. 
I'm from Prescott. I'm from Tucson. I'm from San Antonio. I'm suspicious of you because you're not where I'm from. Some of you here, you will not support anything that's not your tribe. You speak against others just because they're not from your tribe. You divide your people against their people. And you think that's okay because of where I'm from. What's the old saying? You, some of you would fly around the world to preach a sermon. You won't drive across town to hear one. You know the story about the man he went and visited the asylum for the criminally insane. He was shocked. He started counting. He said, there's only three guards. There's a hundred. These are criminally insane people. There's only three guards. And he said to one of the guards, aren't you afraid that the inmates are going to unite and they're going to attack you and escape? And the guard looked at him. He said, you don't understand. Crazy people never unite. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we cannot have the flow of oil without unity. I asked a question in the beginning. Will the oil flow? You can have oil. But will it flow? For some of us, that means we need to repent. We need to repent of our pride, our bitterness, evil speaking, envy, tribalism. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Number two, we need to choose to be in agreement and unity. You know what? There are things in life that are worth fighting over. There are things. There are, there are things that part of my role is I, I'm going to step in. That, them's fighting words. We will fight. But listen, folks, not everything has to be fought about. Don't, don't fight over non-essentials. I want it to be like, okay, you want it that way. We don't have to go to war over something you want. You know what would be an incredible thought? What if you just decided, I want to be a blessing to everybody around me. I just want to be a blessing. Because our text has an incredible promise. It promises a flow of anointing oil. It promises a flow of supernatural power when we have unity. How good, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. What is it like? It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Like the dew of Hermon. This is talking about in dry places, things begin to grow. Life comes where there's moisture. For there the Lord commanded blessing, unity. This is talking 
it's connected to prayer. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Again, I say that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You cannot take a text out of context. This is not my one promise. You can't be fighting with the whole world and then pull out, if you ask anything in my name. If you're out of agreement with the whole world, don't think that you can claim the promise of agreement. But the Bible says if there is agreement, you put Psalm 133 with Matthew 18, oh, he says anything, anything. Things begin to work. Maybe things you've been praying for for so long without unity. Now it would begin to work. The book of Acts is a pattern of what God wants to do. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is what God wants to do in every church. A supernatural dimension. We read that. By the end of the chapter, the Bible says an an entire city is drawn. Isn't that what you want to happen to your church? People to be drawn. That's what you want to happen when you outreach people to be drawn miraculously. But the question is, for every person, for every pastor, for every church, will the oil flow? I close with this story. In 1907, 1,500 men gathered together in Pyongyang, Korea for a 10-day Bible conference. These were representing the leadership of hundreds of churches in Korea for six months Missionaries to Korea had been praying for a mighty move of God among the Korean church. It was common knowledge. People knew that two of the church leaders that were at conference had a hostile relationship. On a Monday night of conference, one of these men, Mr. Kang, he confessed that he had hatred in his heart for Mr. Kim. Mr. Kim would not speak The missionaries, they were getting very concerned about this man. He was not willing to reconcile. And suddenly this man, he came up to the pulpit and confessed, I have been guilty of fighting against God. He said, I've been guilty not only hating Kang, the man they all knew he was mad at, but also Peng Moksa, that's the Korean name for the missionary pastor. He says, I've been mad at the pastor. He turned to the pastor and he said, can you forgive me? He said, can you pray for me? The missionary stood and he started to pray in Korean. And all he got out was, Father, Father. That was as far as it got. They said it seemed like the roof was lifted off from the building and the Spirit of God came down from heaven in a mighty avalanche of power among us. Across the auditorium, 
Hundreds stood with their arms stretched out toward heaven, calling on God. Others lay on the floor prostrate. Hundreds were crying out to God for His mercy. When the men returned to their homes and their home churches, they carried that fire back. When they would simply tell the story of what God would, uh, what did in that conference, the same thing would break out in their churches. Churches were revived. They were filled with a burning passion to reach the lost in their community. Everywhere, revived churches started seeing drunkards, gamblers, adulterers, murderers, thieves, self-righteous people, Confucianists, that's people from another religion, and others, they were transformed into new creatures in Christ. Listen to this. By 1912, just five years after that revival broke out, there were, uh, they went from 300,000 Protestant church members, or, or they went to 300,000 Protestant church members in a nation of 12 million people. The oil flowed. That is what we have to have. Listen to me. These are the last days. Our, our world is changing in wicked ways day by day. The only thing that's going to change it, I have no confidence in any politician, not one. But I want to tell you, if the oil will flow, if the oil will flow in me, if the oil will flow in you, if the oil will flow in our churches, I am believing that God can touch our nation and every nation that is represented here tonight. Amen. And God... That is what we have to have. It has to start with the head. And we have to have the oil. But the question is, unity, will the oil flow? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.